All right, everyone, welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast. My name is James. I'm your host, and today is episode 29. So before we dive into today's episode and the amazing content that I have for you today, I'm going to take a quick moment and ask you to think for a minute. Think about where you live right now. Is there something unique going on in the food world? And maybe it's something that's fairly new, a new trend that you're seeing, or maybe it's a trend that someone somewhere, some small restaurant around you is keeping alive continually day after day after day. You know, here in Utah, we have pastrami burgers, we have fry sauce. I've talked a lot about those uh, extensively. I know Minnesota area, you have the Juicy Lucy, and uh, hopefully I'll be talking about one of those in the coming future. And uh, so regionally, we have all these different trends and traditions when it comes to food. Different towns are known for certain products, food history items that really stand out and have really helped push the culinary world forward. So if you have something like that in your town, maybe you're a part of it in some way, let me know. There's a form at ToastyKettle.com. You can go and submit a restaurant for me to contact and interview. You can nominate them. I'd love to have them on the show. You can respond in the comments to this article at ToastyKettle.com. You can fill out the, the form online. All of that is going to be in the show notes in the description. So wherever you are getting the podcast, make sure you check that out. Now... I'm going to dive right in, keep the business short, dive right in to today's topic. Now, today is all about the history of tamales. Now, tamales are a really interesting food. It's one of those things where different countries have their own variations. There's hundreds of thousands of ways to customize these things, and they have a very deep long history. These things have literally been around forever. So I love tamales. I love a lot of food items. I love tamales. They have a special place in my heart, but I have to add a qualifier. I don't love, it's not like fried chicken here. Fried chicken, I'll eat fried chicken from anywhere. It's always good. I only like good tamales. Okay, so let me clarify what a good tamale is. I've had some that are so bone dry that I literally can't swallow them unless I have uh, doused them in copious amounts of sauce, and only then can I get it down. Now, a good tamale should be something that can stand on its own. It should be moist. It should have intriguing fillings that keep me coming back for more and more. The masa can't be too thick or tough, and uh, you know basically rules out any tamale you're going to buy in the freezer section. All of those are going to suffer the same fate that you get with store-bought corn tortillas. You know, with uh, corn tortillas you buy at the store, they're going to always be more dried out than ones you make yourself at home. And once moisture comes out of these corn products, it's almost impossible to get it back in. And tamales definitely fall under that category. So my personal history with tamales goes back to when I was in high school. 
So once upon a time, I worked in a Mexican restaurant and the food was fantastic. Slowly but surely, I was working my way through the entire menu. I particularly enjoyed their enchilada sauce and their chili verde. To this day, I have yet to find adequate substitutes for their enchilada sauce and their chili verde. They were legendary and they stand on their own. However, I always avoided their tamales. That was something that was a little unfamiliar to me. I never really knew what they were. And uh, one day I decided I was going to dive in. You know, it wasn't it wasn't something that was deep fried. It wasn't a burrito. It wasn't chimichanga. Definitely wasn't a taco. But I wanted some variety. So I decided that I was going to discover what a tamale was all about. I unwrapped it from the corn husk. I put on enchilada sauce and chili verde. It was a great combination. Put some cheese on, threw it up in the melter, and I was in heaven. Oh my goodness, this thing was so good. It was moist, the filling was perfect, tender, fell apart, and then the sauces on top really just tied it all together. It was the perfect dish. Now, since then, I've dabbled in making my own tamales over the last few years, and I've actually been fairly successful with it. Uh, They've yielded great results that people loved. However, they are a lot of work. And it's been said that in many communities where tamales are a big thing, that they're often, it's often a communal meal. It's something that everyone's going to pitch in on uh, to make the meal happen. And it's usually only reserved for special occasions. Tamales have been around, like I said, for a long time. They're believed to have come about as early as 8,000 to 5,000 BC in Mesoamerica. Uh, The Aztecs and Mayans are known to have eaten tamales. Now their version differed from what we have today. They didn't add any fat to the, the, the corn mixture that, that surrounds the filling. And the fillings were more exotic than what you'd find today. They would feature turkey, flamingo, frog, gopher, rabbit, turkey eggs, honey, fruit, fish, squash, beans, and they'd also eat them with no filling. And uh, now Mayans were big on tortillas, and archaeologists have found griddles and things that they have used historically to make tortillas. Before they had griddles, before they were able to make tortillas, uh, they made tamales. And the Mayan hieroglyph for tamales has actually been found on objects that date back to 200 to 1000 in the common era. It's also believed that the Mayan tamale was eaten much earlier even than that. Now, when it comes to tamales, it's a major regional food. You'll find them throughout Mexico, Guatemala, Belize, Cuba, Trinidad, Tobago, a number of other countries in Central and South America, and in the South United States and Southwestern United States. They're becoming an even bigger thing. So today, tamales have changed just a little bit. However, that main concept that the Aztecs and the Mayans had is roughly the same. You have masa dough, 
that's a corn mixture, and that has fat and seasoning that's cut into it, and that makes a nice soft uh, spongy dough, and then that's filled with a variety of items, meats, uh, sweet items. They have uh, different dessert-type toppings. They'll throw in a tamale, and then they steam them to perfection. And within Mexico itself, there are different regional varieties of tamale. And if you cast an even wider net, then you're going to find different countries are doing it completely differently. Now, I'm going to start with Mexican tamales. These are the ones, if you think of a tamale, you have that image in your mind, your picture in your mind, uh, it's likely a Mexican tamale that you're thinking of. It's the most well-known tamale And when Americans think of tamale, again, that's what we're going to think of. It's a classic small round cylinder that's wrapped in a corn husk. With Mexican tamales, lard or shortening is going to be whisked into the masa flour to form a soft dough. And then chili powders and sometimes even a chili puree will be added to the dough to give it a reddish color. And then... The tamale is wrapped in a corn husk, and the type of husk will actually vary based on the region that you're in in Mexico, and even in tropical locations, they're going to use a banana leaf instead of a corn husk. And making tamales, again, it's for specific holidays, and historically with the Aztecs and the Mayans, the fillings were dictated based on what celebration they were having. They'd have special celebrations that would require special fillings in their tamales. And same thing in Mexico, when they are making tamales for a holiday or a special occasion, it's often going to have a traditional filling that relates to that specific event. And it's a communal family event that's often taken on by the women in the family or in the community. Now, Guatemalan tamales are steeped in tradition, and they're often prepared well in advance of Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, and then they're eaten at midnight on Christmas Eve to celebrate. They're also going to celebrate other special occasions like birthdays, baptisms, holidays uh, with tamales. And these tamales are filled with raisins and various meats. They often mix a tomato mixture into the dough to give it a reddish color, so different from the Mexican tamales with peppers and Uh, They're adding tomatoes. And then there's also rice and potato varieties. Uh, When you get into the highlands in Guatemala, instead of having a corn dough, a corn masa mixture dough, they're going to use rice or potatoes to form the dough. Other countries like, uh, like I said, Belize, Cuba, Trinidad and Tobago, they all have a traditional form of tamale. There is a big cultural exchange going on between Mexico and Cuba from the early 1900s to the early 2000s. And a lot of people believe that's when tamales found their way to Cuba because the tamales that you'll find in Cuba are identical to the ones you'll find in Mexico City. So that's a brief history on the different tamales. It's been estimated that there are 500 different regional varieties of tamales. So distinct regional variations on the tamale. There's 500. And uh, on Wikipedia, when I was starting to research tamales, 
they made sure to specify that tamale shouldn't be confused with tamale because tamale is, and that's T-O-M-A-L-L-E-Y, not T-A-M-A-L-E. Tamale is the soft green substance that is found in the body cavity of lobsters. And it fulfills the function of the liver and the pancreas, and it's actually considered a delicacy. So a lot of people actually eat that. I think that's kind of gross, but whatever. Um, (laughs) And then there's actually a town in Ghana called Tamale. And not only that, but it's a big town. It's the capital town of the northern region of Ghana, and they have a population of roughly 2 million people. So when we're talking tamales, don't think of uh, lobster guts and geography. Now, we have eaten tamales in the U.S. since the turn of the 20th century. A lot of people think that they came to the United States with migrant workers from Mexico, and then they were adopted quickly and made their way to the Mississippi and New York and Chicago, and they're often known as Red Hots. The Great Tamale Incident. Let's talk about that for a second. So former President Gerald Ford visited the Alamo in San Antonio in 1976. During his visit, he was actually served tamales. Now, he had never been served tamales before. He had no idea what he was eating. He bit into the tamale uh, husk and everything, didn't unwrap it. So just picture that for a minute. We all know corn husks, particularly dried corn husks, are really not edible (laughs) and uh, didn't want to be rude, so he just bit into it. And people got a kick out of it. It became known as the Great Tamale Incident. Tamales, they are traditionally steamed. However, they also have varieties where they are boiled, grilled, toasted, fried, even... Um, oven roasted, fire roasted, barbecued. Now, I'm not sure how some of these cooking methods actually make them tamales. I would think that that cooking method, if you fry it or pan fry it or oven roast it, you're going to end up with more of a, uh, almost a gordita than a tamale. And I think the method for cooking should actually be quite specific and steamed or boiled to get that texture and consistency. But research is research, right? (laughs) So traditional fillings for tamales can consist of chicken, beef, pork, beans. However, it doesn't stop there. The options are virtually endless. You can literally stuff anything into a tamale, and many people do. Iguana tamales are a thing in Mexico, as are boiled egg and shrimp tamales. And if you kind of view the masa in a tamale kind of like you would view a tortilla, you know, you think about all the things, all the sandwich wraps and things that we do today, it's basically a glorified burrito. We just call it a wrap instead of a burrito. And then it becomes acceptable to throw anything in there from fried chicken to dessert fillings and call it a wrap. And uh, same thing with a tamale. You can stuff anything inside of it and call it a tamale. And more often than not, it's going to be delicious. There are chefs throughout the world that are doing, you know, Japanese themed and inspired tamales with, uh, you know, fish and ginger and different Asian spices and flavorings. And uh, it's really a, a unique concept when you think about it. You can adapt this cultural icon to (laughs) 
to Mexico, Guatemala, and other Central American and South American countries and adapt it to almost any culture and region and situation just by changing up what goes inside. In Mexico, tamales are actually eaten at all times of the day. And it's perfectly acceptable acceptable to serve tamales uh, for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. So they eat them all the time there. Now, going into the history of tamales in the United States, you really can't neglect the hot tamale. And that's a tamale that shouldn't be confused with the popular cinnamon flavor candy in America. Uh, it, it's uh, Instead, it's a hot tamale that is popular in the American South and Southwest. There are minor variations, but they're all going to have the same basic foundation. And that is going to be that they all contain ground or shredded meat, cumin, paprika, cayenne, and garlic. They all are going to have a little bit of a kick to it. And they're wrapped in a dough made from cornmeal or corn flour, so a little bit different from the masa, but the same basic concept. And then wrapped in that traditional corn husk and steamed. Now, whether it's a hot tamale or a more traditional Mexican tamale, you really can't go wrong. They are all super delicious, and they all tell a story. What has made the history of tamales so interesting is that they've become a functional food of convenience. You know, yes, they're insanely labor-intensive to make. However, when they started, they were a self-contained pouch of food that packed a lot of calories in a really small package. So throughout history, farmers, hunters, travelers, laborers, they relied on these tamales because it was something they could carry with them that was going to sustain them through the day and through the intense physical stress they were putting on their bodies and giving them the calories to get them through the workday. Today, they've transitioned from a functional food that the hunters would carry with them anciently to a celebration food that family use, families use to draw themselves closer together. And I just think that's really interesting to see that transition from something that had a clear purpose to something that's purely for fun and tradition. And, uh, and I think today, you know, there's still obviously going to be that functional part. If you are a farmer or laborer, yeah, it's a great thing to carry with you out into the fields. It's going to keep you going. It's going to pack a punch, but I'm curious what you think of tamales. Do you have a favorite variety? What's the craziest tamale you've heard about? Uh, for me today, it was the iguana tamale or flamingo that the ancient, Aztecs ate flamingo tamales. Uh, that's crazy. <laughs> so let me know in the comments. You can uh, go to toastykettle.com, click on the article, and you can share your story. You can also share it on social media at toastykettle.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you like what you heard today about tamales, make sure you take a minute to leave a five-star review and uh, tell someone else about the podcast. It's going to help grow the show and really help keep things moving along here at Toasty Kettle. So again, thanks for finding the show. Thanks for listening. I had a lot of fun researching this one today, and uh, hope you enjoyed it. Until next week. Mm -hmm.